Our scripture today is found in two different passages. First, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And Romans 12, 4 through 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. Good to worship with you. I love the, uh, the worship team today. It was full. We've got fiddle and some acoustic guitars. It was nice. Um, we are starting a new series together. And we're going to be going through one of the things we did in the fall, and we're going to continue on in the new year, is couple our uh, home meeting studies and follow along with the same passages together on Sunday. And so what we're doing is we're going to look at some of the passages that are important to our home meeting studies, but the home meetings are going to also study a book that goes along with our series. It's called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And we're going to spend some time and we're going to look at the different intricacies of relationship and what it should look like. And today, what we're going to do is just take some time and try to understand a little bit about why we should bother. Why we should bother. Every one of us has had frustration with relationships in life. And sometimes it gets really, really frustrating. And you just want to throw in the towel. And yet... The scripture won't allow us to do that. And so today we're going to take a little bit of a a look at how to, uh, why to bother, why we're going to bother, and we're going to try to understand that relationships are some key aspect of who God created us to be. Relationships are key aspects of who God created us to be. So uh, we're going to look at three parts. We're going to look at relationships are central to who God is. Relationships are central to who God is. Relationships are also central to who God made you to be. They're central to who you are. And then finally, relationships are what Jesus came to restore. Now, relationships are central to who God is. You know, in Genesis 2.18, we read this. Then the Lord God said, what's going on there? Just prior to that, do you know that the Lord had commanded, uh, it says the Lord had commanded the man and woman right? To be fruitful and multiply. And then it comes over and it says, and the Lord God said, is he talking to Adam and Eve? Is he talking to Adam and Eve at that point? Here's what our scripture says. And then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him, fit for him. Okay? Is he talking to Adam at that point? No. And one of the things I want to hearken back to is that he's in conference with himself. You can compare it later with Genesis 1.26. One of the things the Lord does there is he talks with himself in Trinitarian form. Now, we don't know that more fully until redemptive history unfolds a bit. But we see him in Genesis 1.26 having the same kind of self-conference, the same kind of self-talk when he says this. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So it's the same kind of self-conference going on here. And I was, uh, as I've been, I was really ill this week and uh, feeling better now, starting to round a corner. But, you know, one of the things I could, I could only really lay on the couch. 
And so I laid on the couch most of the day. And what do you do when you're laying on the couch but stream Netflix all day? So that's what I chose to do. And uh, I was checking out, you know, some of the, sometimes I had pre-screened shows uh, that friends, dads will recommend to see if I can watch them with Ezra or not. And so there's this silly kid show called Eureka. It's, it's quirky, it's fun, it's pleasant, you know, it's, it's not pretentious. It's about a town of geniuses, and uh, there's an average guy, average intellect guy, who comes to town, and he becomes their sheriff. And because he's of average intellect, the way that he looks at things often helps him to see things that they can't in all of their brilliance. And so it becomes this happy pairing. And there are all these strange, like, super intellectual things going on and experiments going on in the town that go wrong, and the sheriff helps him to unpack it. So it's fun. It's pleasant. But one of the themes of the show that you see time and time again is let's get so-and-so on the case. They'll know what to do. And so so so-and-so comes on the case, the specialist, and they're conferencing with themselves, and they're they're figuring it out, and then they got it, and they figure out a solution, and they work it out, right? In a similar way, here we are, God has called everything good. In Genesis 1, we see God created it, and it's good. He gives benediction. He gives benediction. It's good. At the end of our services, we hear God's word to us in benediction. He gives good word to us. And yet here... He says, it is not good. Malediction. There's something not good. What's not good? That the man should be alone. Now, one of the things that we see when the Lord talks to himself is that within himself, the Lord is three persons, yet one God. We see that even before the world was made, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were present to one another. Now, you have to remember that Scripture... The Bible gives us only a glimpse of the Trinity, not a treatise, right? It's not like an instruction manual or a theological manual on the aspects of the Trinity. There's a lot that's mysterious about this. Even the best theologians will, if they're humble enough, will tell you that there's a lot of mystery here, and we just have to bow before that mystery. The early church understood the fact that God is three persons, yet one God, though. Matthew recalls Jesus' great commission, And talks about the name of God as Trinity in this way. Jesus commanded, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there's a sense in which that revelation of God's name is very significant. It's one of the fullest revelations of God's name that we have. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or um, Paul gives a benediction to the Corinthian church. That is the name of God as Trinity. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the early church understood that God is one God, three persons. And so this self-conference here that we see is an important aspect of why we should bother with relationship because God himself bothers with relationship. God himself is relationship. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit conferencing with himself from all, before all eternity. So there's something woven in to the fabric of who God is. I can't say woven because he's not created. But there is something inherent in who God is that means that there's community there. Okay? Here's some general descriptions. And if you have a pencil and you're following along, you might write some of these down to help you think about 
the way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate as one God, three persons. Simple descriptions, but helpful maybe. In redemptive history, we see this. The Father foreordains. The Son accomplishes. And the Spirit applies the work of Christ. The Father foreordains, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies the work of Christ to the heart. Or another one, the Father plans, the Son executes, and the Spirit applies. And what we have to remember, though, is that even as the Father is planning, the Son and the Spirit are joyfully cooperating. The same is true for anything God does. Father, Son, Holy Spirit joyfully cooperate together. They are the basis for our own relationships. There's perfect relationship within himself. So relationships are central to who God is, but relationships are also central to who we are and who you are. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Genesis 2.18 says, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make her help or fit for, or the other way to translate that is corresponding to, corresponding to him. While Genesis 2 does, does address how male and female uh, complement each other, the implications of this passage are much broader, much broader. It's not just about male and female. It includes all human relationships. In fact, I was looking in John Calvin's commentary, very old commentary at this point, uh, on Genesis 2.18, and this is what he writes. I, however, take the meaning to be this, that God begins, indeed, at the first step of human society, yet designs to uh, include others, each in its proper place. The commencement, therefore, involves the general principle that man was formed to be a social animal. John Calvin, man was formed. Human beings are formed to be a social animal from Genesis 2.18. And yet, there's a problem, right? There's a problem. In Genesis 3, we see the unraveling of relationships through the entrance of sin into the world. We didn't look at it here, but that's exactly what happens. And so that from that point on, all relationships are affected. Our relationship with God, relationship with others, physical, mental, emotional, it's all affected. All of our relationships are affected. And we can often see that in the way that relationships go for us. Here are some examples from the book that the home meeting uh, is studying this week. Think of, your, think of your life, think of your relationships, the ones that have, you've had difficulty with, and think about some of these phrases to illustrate how there is breakdown, how we do face breakdown. I had such high hopes for our friendship. What went wrong? I thought I finally found someone I could trust. Or... I can't believe you're questioning my integrity after all the things that I've done for you. It's not like I'm the only one who's failed in this relationship. You've hurt me too. How about this? You see, this is what you always do. I come to you and you turn the table on me. You're so good at making other people feel guilty of your failures. The problem with you is that you're much better at recognizing other people's faults than you on your own. You don't have a clue how much you have hurt me. You betrayed our trust when you told them what I said. Or further, you never told me I couldn't say anything about what you shared with me. I didn't know you would be so sensitive about it. Or how about in response, I thought you cared enough for me that I wouldn't have to tell you not to talk to someone else. I thought our relationship was important to you as it is to me. How about 
You see, that's the problem. You always act like you're more committed to this relationship than I am. You watch me like a hawk, just waiting to pounce on any hint of failure. Or why does it always go here? Why can't we even have a discussion about the weather without it ending in accusation? Now, not all of those are fitting for all of you, but I bet a lot of you have experienced at least some of those. Some of the breakdown in relationship. Now, that's just with one another. What about the way that you feel towards God? What does your inner talk go when it comes to addressing him in prayer? When it comes, come, comes to coming to him as a child would to a father who loves them? Do you find yourself with the same kinds of attitudes, the same kinds of verbiage? Do you come to God, or do you come to God at all? Do you, have you just stopped? Have you withdrawn from God? It's the alienation that's the problem. Whatever the frustration you've experienced in your relationships, it's clear that no relationship ever delivers what you dreamt it could. Your fantasy collides with reality, and reality bites. It really does. We're hard-pressed. We're hard-pressed on every side. But we have the fact that God, relationships are inherent to who God is. Relationships are inherent to you, who you are, but they've, they've gone wrong. Relationships, finally, are what Jesus came to restore in your life. Relationships are what Jesus came to restore in your life. Romans 12.5, part of our text. <clears throat> so though we... So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul calls us members of one another, like the organs of the body are members of the body. Later, there's a place where he says, you know, to lie to one another is like stabbing yourself in the vital organs, right? Because we're members of one another. Now, what happens when your, your body lies to you I was thinking about Anne Marie's uh, mother, who died a number of years ago. And one of the things that happened is that she had uh, a heart attack. But she went in for a test for it, and her body lied to the test. It didn't show up that she had had it. And so then her body began to unravel because there was no further monitoring at that point. And she ended up dying for that. What happens when one part of the body lies to another part of the body is unraveling. You're undone. You can't stand. You can't live that way. (coughs) Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is what? He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What can that look like in your relationships? Again, taking some of the practical examples from the book that the home meetings are studying this week, think about a relationship that has uh, been this for you. How about, how, about one, uh, how about this phrase? You know, I can't believe you would do such a thing for me. It's so encouraging that I did not have to go through this alone. Or, I've gotten as much as I've given. Your friendship has been a constant source of encouragement. And further, yeah, you know, when we first met, neither one of us had any idea of what God would do through our friendship. 
or what I appreciate is that while it hasn't always been easy, you have been committed to dealing with our problems and disagreements in a constructive way. Your honesty is refreshing. How about this? And you've, mo- you've modeled patience and a willingness to listen even when it was hard. God has used you in my life to help me speak honestly, but in a God- more godly manner. Or finally, I suspect it won't always be this comfortable, but it is encouraging that we are committed to dealing with our future problems in this same way. Do you hear the life in those? There's an acknowledgement that we are broken. There's an acknowledgement that we are needy. But because the Lord has made us for a relationship, and because Jesus has come to restore our relationship, our language with one another can change. can change as we go through life, this week and in the new year. How do we do it? How do we do that? How do we have the resources for that? This is counter to everything that we feel inside. You know how it is. You see somebody who's wronged you in a big way, and they're coming right up to you, and the feelings that you feel in your stomach, in the pit of your stomach, and what are you going to do, and how are you going to speak? We don't have resources for this kind of grace in and of ourselves. That's why we need Jesus. How can we do this? You know, on the cross, Jesus prayed a prayer as he was dying, and he was praying Psalm 22. And he prayed it this way. And the rest of the, the surrounding verse goes along with it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. The reason why we can have a new relationship with God that's restored the reason why we can have new relationships with one another that are restored and restoring is because Jesus' relationship here was cut off. He was cut off from the dance of the Trinity that he had always known. He was cut off from his friends, his closest friends and allies. He was cut off from the rest of the world turning against him. He was cut off from those he had come to save. He was cut off from every relationship imaginable, and he was left utterly alone When he prayed, there was silence. And he did that so that you could enter in and have reception and have answer and have relationship and warmth and encounter and grace and peace. Jesus did this for you. Relationships are central to who God is, to who you are, and they're what Jesus came to restore. We're made for relationships with God and one another that only Jesus can bring. Now, <clears throat> we're, going in, we're into the new year. Some of you have made New Year's resolutions. Uh, how many of you stuck to them? 100%? I don't see any hands. Um, here's, some to add to the, here's some to add to it. As you're working in the home meetings this week, uh, as you're uh, getting connected into the community here. Here's some things to work against and instead think about what Jesus' relationships being lost for your sake mean to you, mean to your relationships here. So, some things to avoid. We'll work on doing away with these kinds of things in favor of relationships based in the gospel. Not letting go of a moment of hurt. Avoid that. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. 
getting angry at the way our children complicate our lives. Parents, Andy Oliver said something great. We have a, a dad's night out once a month, and uh, Andy said, you know, at this point he has young, young children, and he said, at this point, parenting is endurance. That's true, and there's a lot about that kind of endurance that continues on through uh, the life of a parent and the life of a family together. So do away with getting angry at the way the children complicate our lives. Do away with that. Think about how the gospel renews our relationship with our children. One of the things we talked about in the commissioning was that we're to raise our, our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? Think about how to do that instead. Becoming, do away with this. Becoming defensive when challenged. <clears throat> Are you approachable? When somebody who loves you comes to contradict you, do you hear it? Can they speak that into your life? Can they speak that truthfully? And have you not sort of give rebuttal, but actually hear it and take it in and let it shape you for your own good and your well-being? So do away with becoming defensive when challenged. Do away with avoiding conflict out of fear. The nature of relationships are messy. There is conflict. There's brokenness. But we have one who's redeemed the brokenness. And if we proceed in him, we can handle. We have resources. We can step forward in even the brokenness and begin to love one another in new radical ways. Do away with gossiping about people. There's a great place in Ephesians where Paul says, whatever comes out of your mouth, let it be for building others up, let it fit the occasion, and let it give grace to those who hear. Right? Do you sense for a minute, as I, start to, as I roll through these lists a little bit, that you in and of yourself do not have the resources you need alone to do these things? You don't have them, but you do have one who did. And he gives you his spirit so that you can live in a different way. And if you don't have his spirit, go to him, ask him for it. He gives freely and kindly and graciously. He loves you. He wants you to be different. You weren't meant for the kinds of degradation that we're talking about. You weren't meant for that. How about this, last one? Do away with compromising our convictions to win others' approval. You know, a lot of you live one way in front of your friends and live another way um, behind closed doors. Do away with that. The Lord's Spirit came to give you integrity. That's, that's, that's what happens. The, the ability to be the same in any given situation. He wants to renew you that way. So you need to do away with the idea of compromising your convictions to win others' approval. Look, in the home meeting study and in the book particularly, there are lots of other examples. Take time this week. Pursue grace. Pursue living out of the relationships that Jesus came to restore with God himself and with one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that we can call you Father, that we no longer in Jesus call you judge, but we call you Father. In Jesus, we call you friend and older elder brother. In spirit, we call you comforter. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. It is a mystery, and yet we bow before you 
knowing that you have done all that is needed and more to save us from ourselves, from lost relationships, from broken relationships, and you've brought us into favor of your kingdom. Lord, let us not, as Elizabeth shared earlier, just eat the Pop-Tarts. Let us instead feast with you at the banquet table in the kingdom, daily through prayer, with your presence of your Holy Spirit, with one another, working through one another in relationship with you and one another, restored because of your grace to us. Give us that grace, peace, and joy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.